Hello, welcome to the second quarter conference call for the CMG Malden Smart Core Investment Strategy. My name is Brian Schreiner. I'm Vice President of the Private Wealth Group here at CMG. The Malden Smart Core Investment Strategy is the culmination of over 30 years of economic thinking by one of the world's leading economic writers. John Malden is the Chief Economist and Co-Portfolio Manager of the CMG Malden Smart Core Investment Strategy. John believes that the end of the debt supercycle is one of the most profound trends that will impact your portfolio over the next several years, and he believes that the period ahead will require you to think and invest differently to get through the Great Reset. Instead of diversifying asset classes, Malden SmartCore diversifies among trading strategies. The strategies seek growth, have the ability to respond to the global economy on a daily basis, and do so with a disciplined investment process that seeks to minimize downside risk. Think of SmartCore as four strategies in one managed account portfolio. The strategists utilize ETFs that enable them to trade across asset classes, countries, sectors, commodities, and cash-like securities for safety. Today's call is going to be split into two segments. First, we'll hear from co-portfolio manager John Malden on what he sees in today's investment environment and economic landscape. In the second segment, we'll hear from one of the portfolio's four asset managers. Clint Peckrell is a certified financial analyst, chief equity strategist, and head of research at Peak Capital Management. Clint will give us his take on the current market environment and provide his insights into the peak dynamic risk-hedged U.S. growth portfolio, one of the individual trading strategies within Malden SmartCore. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about our investment management services, please contact us by phone or email. Our phone number is 800-891-9092, and our email address is info at cmgwealth.com. Federal securities laws require us to make the following disclosure. Investing involves risk. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Therefore, it should not be assumed that any future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy, including Malden SmartCore, will be profitable be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. No portion of this call should be construed as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. There are additional important disclosures in our form ADV, which is available on our website. It's always an honor for me to introduce my friend and colleague, John Malden. In addition to serving as chief economist here at CMG, John is a noted financial expert, a New York Times bestselling author and pioneering online commentator and publisher of the weekly letter, Thoughts from the Frontline. Together with Malden Economics, John hosts the annual Strategic Investment Conference, which brings together some of the world's most respected economists, analysts, and investment managers. John, thanks for joining the call today. It's always good to be with you, Brian. Malden SmartCore is an opportunistic, multi-asset, multi-manager investment strategy that combines several investment strategies into one portfolio. The objective is to seek global growth opportunities while maintaining a level of protection in down markets. The Morningstar category for U.S. fund tactical allocation was up 7.3% year-to-date through June 30th, while Malden SmartCore managed account strategy was up 5.7% 
over the same period. Over the last 12 months, the Morningstar category was up 23.9%, while Malden Smart Core was up 17.7%. John, what are your thoughts on the performance of the strategy so far this year? Well, I'm very happy with it, especially over the last 12 months. What you have to realize is that comparing it to the Morningstar strategy, I mean, they choose what the comparison is. And I think it's an imperfect comparison because the rest of that strategy is taking far more, uh, in my opinion, which we all know what my opinions are worth, but in my opinion, they're taking a lot more risk of volatility than we are. So in a bull market, which we've been in, they're going to outperform us because the volatility is to the upside, which everybody likes volatility to the upside. It's the volatility to the downside that we don't like. And frankly, SmartCore and I am more focused on the volatility to the downside. We are at a place where valuations are stretched. The breadth in the market is beginning to diminish significantly. We're seeing rotations. It is, in my view, time to be a little bit more cautious. And it's not that our managers today are all that cautious. I mean, we have a significant exposure to the markets. Obviously, you don't produce 17% without having that exposure. But our triggers to reduce that exposure probably happen a lot more quickly than it would be for some of the others in the tactical group that Morningstar has just randomly put us in. So I'm not certain that it's a good comparison, but I guess you have to do comparisons. But I'm personally quite pleased with the performance. It's doing what I wanted to do. Agreed. I think anytime you have a risk managed strategy, there's some opportunity cost. And we're going to generate and participate. We're going to generate returns and participate as long as the markets are strong. But the fact is, we're also going to have kind of one foot out the door or at least look for the exit when market volatility comes back and when we enter a bear market phase. And so that's just the nature of a risk managed strategy. John, I wanted to ask you about your recent thoughts from the frontline letter. You raised a great concept. I think a really important one, TINA. And TINA is an acronym, T-I-N-A, for there is no alternative. How does the concept of TINA apply to investing? And why do you think it's especially relevant for investors today? Well, TINA in this context is talking about there's no alternative but to be in the stock market. And typically, they're talking about 60-40 portfolios or 80-20 portfolios. They're talking about what the average investment advisor out there sells. This is Wall Street talking. And they want to sell you stocks. They want to sell you ETFs. They want to sell you market exposure risk because it's the easy thing for them to do. It's the easy button. And my argument that there's always an alternative. There are literally scores and scores of alternative investments that don't depend upon a rising market to make their returns. I guess the whole concept of there is no alternative is a lazy man's way of saying, well, you've got to be in the stock market because there's nothing else you can do. And my argument is there's lots of other things you could do. There's lots of alternatives. And I think the risk that you have 
of saying, well, I've got to be all in on the stock market and I've just got to be blind and, and not worry about the volatility because they're telling you that no matter how much it drops, it's going to come back. And I will agree. But if it takes 10 years, 15 years, 20 years to come back, how much time do you have? I mean, we have over the last 100 years, we have 20-year time periods where the market did not recover for more than 20 years. From 66 to 82, it took the market 16 years to get back. In real terms, after inflation, it was 26 years. It was 1992. That's what happens in full-blown bear markets. If you look from 2000 to 2010, you were flat. Now, since then, we've had a roaring bull market. It's gone up. But your average from 2000 to 2021, roughly at the end of the last quarter last year, you were up 6.76%. You were up, up under 7% for the whole 20 years. So what the Tina people are saying was, so you got to be always in the market. You were flat for 10 years. You had a roaring bull market for 10 years under that strategy. And you took all of that risk which was a lot of risk in 2001 and 2009, 2008 rather, for 7% compound. And I can find you strategies and portfolio designs that will give you that same 7% for a significantly reduced amount of volatility compared to what we've seen in the past in a market-only strategy. There's another concept that I think is related throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and in most of the 2000s, really, stocks and bonds were by far the most predominant way that investors allocated their capital. This is starting to change, you know, and has been in recent years. And so, if you're going to take a TINA approach, I think that's ignoring the fact that other markets are emerging and you know there's private markets now with technology we're going to be able to access and we are accessing and we'll continue to have easier access to private markets through new online platforms we have digital signatures now that make investing easier in private markets there's cryptocurrencies there's other ways to invest and i think these are some of the areas that you're talking about and as these types of investments and ways of investing become easier. I think regulation around these investments will start to become better too for smaller investors. Yeah, there's you know maybe a little bit out there on the horizon, but tokenization, the securities may become tokenized, which would allow them to be more easily traded in private markets. So we shouldn't just make the assumption that, you know, stocks and bonds or the only way we're going to invest for the next 10 or 20 years, I think that's pretty short-sighted. I think it's very likely that they'll continue to be an important part of a portfolio. But the point is, there's a growing number of ways to access different markets. And especially in this environment, we want to be creative in doing that. And, and that's what we're doing now with clients is building portfolios more creatively. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with Team Malden? Well, we've put together a whole structure, especially around private credit, if you're an accredited investor, but there's other ways and funds that we can access if you're not that are different than bonds. In my portfolio, 
I don't have any bonds. I have cash flow investments that are private credit. I have funds that are trading funds, okay? I talk about diversifying trading strategies. I have funds that are trading funds that the return streams look like the bond funds that we used to get back in the 90s and the the 2000s, back when bonds actually gave you some interest. Today, they're giving you no interest. Your bond fund is as much or more of a risk to your portfolio than the stock market fund. I mean, when you're in a bond fund, you're making the bet that inflation is not going to increase. And I think that, at least in the short term, is probably not a good bet. Short term, I'm talking about 12 months. I mean, longer term, I would not be surprised to see the disinflationary world that we've been living in come back for a while. But you're also making the bet that the government's not going to ram through, you know, another four or five trillion dollars worth of excess spending that we're going to have to figure out how they're going to pay for, that they're not going to be able to raise taxes significantly, which will create a true market issue. There's a lot of things you're betting on when you say, well, I want to own bonds. I want to own stocks. I look out in the market and I'm going, there's a lot of potential risk. Now, as an investor and as an American, <laughs> I hope those potential risks don't happen. I hope we don't spend an unfunded $5 trillion, and I hope we don't see taxes go up by 3 or $4 trillion. So honestly, looking at this Congress and this market and the deep divide is in this country, I don't think we can say that's a non-trivial risk. I think it's a very real risk that those could happen. And those are going to be market-moving events. That's why it's important to have trading strategies that can respond relatively quickly to any current events. And I would just say to individual investors that it's a problem if you think you can do that. I mean, if you've got a system that you check every day, what's your moving average? I mean, whatever your system is, that's fine. But most of us get emotionally tied up into it. The managers of the smart core fund, they have their systems. They're constantly refining in generally minor ways now, but they're still refining their programs, but they stick to them religiously. And I don't want an emotional involvement in the market because when you're down 20 to 30 percent is probably not the best time to sell. I mean, you've already taken the bulk of the pain and bonds aren't going to be there to help you to balance your portfolio, not at the low rates we're having today. So the whole concept of a 60-40 portfolio or the traditional portfolio design is just flawed. There is an alternative and Malden Smart Car is part of it, but Team Malden has a whole menu. We called it the Malden Kitchens. They have a whole menu of alternative investments. Right. And I invite any investors who are listening, if you'd like to uh, learn more about the Malden Kitchen, contact us. Uh, we'll have one of our advisors talk with you. And if you'd like, we can build a proposal for a portion of your investments and make some recommendations on how we might adjust your portfolio given the market environment that we have today. John, I think you're 
headed to Washington, D.C. for a working vacation, you might call it. Right. It is a working vacation. I'll be doing several meetings. And on, then on my way from D.C., I go up to uh, Maine for an annual fishing trip with a bunch of economists. We try not to let the fish get in the way of conversation and, and enjoying ourselves with good food and, and maybe a little wine. And then from there, I'll be going to a private conference in uh, Colorado, which will be a pleasant diversion. I'll have to sing for my supper, but it'll be a pleasant place to do it in. And then I'll be back. I don't know if my travel schedule will ever get back to what it was even three years ago when I'm doing 200, 250,000 miles a year. I think in the days of Zoom and until we're ready to start having large conferences again and people are willing to pay speakers to come back, I think that large travel schedule is over. And, you know, I enjoyed it at one time. But I enjoy being here in paradise, and it feels good to be able to sit and get up every day and get into a routine. I'm quite happy being uh, in Puerto Rico. Well, that sounds good. I know you'll have no shortage of material, you know, at Camp Kotak and the conference in Colorado. So we'll be looking forward to reading your letters and uh, also looking forward to talking with you in a few months again. And thank you for joining today. Appreciate it, John. You're very welcome, Brian. Always good to talk with you. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you, sir. We're back for the second segment of the Malden Smart Core quarterly conference call for the second quarter of 2021. As a reminder, if you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about our investment management services, please contact us by phone at 800-891-9092 or by email at info at cmgwealth.com. I'm very glad to be here with Clint Peckerel, Chief Equity Strategist and Head of Research at Peak Capital Management. Clint oversees the Peak Dynamic Risk Hedged U.S. Growth Portfolio, which accounts for 25% of Malden Smart Core. Clint, welcome to the call today. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. First, I wanted to, if you would just give us, Clint, an overview of your investment philosophy at peak, and then with regard to the dynamic risk hedge strategy. Sure. I mean, at a very high level, our investment philosophy is, is fairly straightforward. Our approach is that managing risk can help deliver attractive long-term compound return, and that by staying engaged in the markets while mitigating some of the pitfalls along the way, uh, investors can be better positioned to meet their long-term financial goals. And the way that we do that in terms of an investment process is that we allocate portfolios based on perceived risks. Specifically, we utilize a process known as risk budgeting. So by estimating the return volatility for each holding in our portfolio, which includes various asset classes and equity factors, treasury bonds, for example, as we look at those holdings and estimate return volatility for each, as well as the return correlations across those holdings, we can quantify sources of portfolio risk and work to ensure that those sources of risk are evenly allocated across the portfolio. So very high level, that's just a, an industry term called risk budgeting. So when markets become dislocated, kind of like we see periodically such as last year during COVID, our portfolios are designed to become quite adapted. And you'll see that in terms of our asset allocation, how we mix our portfolio in terms of equity exposure and fixed income exposure, 
we have the flexibility to change the mix between various asset classes in a very dynamic way. So moreover, if returns become highly correlated across asset classes, like we see typically during times of market stress, our portfolios can utilize various hedges such as cash or inverse positions to broad market indexes. So our goal is ultimately to provide a smoother ride for the investors over time. We want to know where volatility is coming from, what that return uncertainty might look like going forward, and how returns are correlated across asset classes. So we evaluate that on a daily basis, and our algorithms dictate to us where the optimal asset allocation should be. So if we can mitigate portfolio risk during times of market stress, our clients over time are more likely to remain invested again, over the long term, and that's where you get the client to meet their financial goals. It's more about investor psychology more than anything else in keeping them calm during periods of stress and just reemphasizing that long-term you know, compounding is your friend, and, and that's how you get to your ultimate goal. That makes sense. During periods of market stress or maybe a bear market, are there any constraints on how much of the portfolio can be in cash or in defensive positions? I mean, can it be fully cash? That's a good question. We get that question quite often. Our portfolios aren't binary in the sense that we go all into cash or all out of cash. We're always engaged to some degree in the equity markets. The exposure is really dictated by how volatile or uncertain those returns can be. So the restrictions in the portfolio are simply risk contribution to the total asset mix. And we have that budgeted. So there's a certain amount of risk that equities can pose to the portfolio uh, on a percentage basis. And if that exceeds the risk budget, we do a couple of things. We either rotate into a non-correlated or a low-correlated asset, such as treasuries. That typically works. Uh, It certainly worked in March of last year, February, March of last year. If there's a negative correlation between stocks and bonds, that could be a risk mitigation strategy. In other words, we could trim some of that equity exposure and reallocate risk into a non-correlated security, such as treasuries, if that correlation is positive, which can happen as well. So in other words, equities are falling or equity volatility is very high or above longer-term averages, and treasuries are falling off the cliff as well. So in other words, maybe interest rates are rising. So Combining stocks and bonds doesn't necessarily do anything for you. During periods like that, we have additional mechanisms in the portfolio where we can feather in cash, we can step into cash to mitigate some of that excess risk, or we can allocate to a negatively correlated positions, such as an inverse exposure to a broad equity index. And those are very marginal trades, kind of step-in trades. I would describe them that way. We're never going to be in a position where we're completely disengaged from the equity markets. You'll always have volatility in your portfolio that is, is sourced by the volatility that you see in the U.S. equity market, such as the S&P 500. You can use that as a proxy. So typically, the higher the volatility, the higher the risk contribution that exceeds our budgeted allocation, and that's when we start to rotate the portfolio. But more often than not, our portfolio is going to look approximately like a 75-25 you know, equity fixed income allocation on average over time. But again, we do have the ability to make those tactical shifts as needed. I want to try to get a little bit of insight into your day-to-day processes, you know, how you actually trade. So how often does this strategy trade? And if we're looking over your shoulder and at your trading screens, as you're trading, what do we see? What are the 
factors you're looking at and maybe give us an example or, you know, what a typical trade might look like for you. And if you want to use a current one with regard to the positions you hold today, that's fine. But try to give us some insight into, you know, what we might see if we're, you know, looking over your shoulder at your trade screens. Uh, Are you trading on a daily basis or is it less frequently than that? What does it look like, you know, in your your day-to-day work? So from a trading standpoint, we don't trade on a fixed schedule. In other words, we're not going in at the end of every quarter or at the end of every month and automatically trading. Our systems are designed to measure return volatility and correlations every day. Now, that's just a signal that tells us, okay, here's where we currently are and here's where our model says we should be. And if that deviates too much, in other words, if we start to drift away from our targets by a meaningful amount, that's what dictates us when we should trade. So every morning we run an algorithm. It's completely quantitatively driven, algorithmic driven, and and that gives us a guide, so to speak, that says, okay, well, here are your sources of risk in the portfolio. Here are the estimates of volatility for each holding. Here are the correlation as for returns. What does that mean from, number one, total portfolio volatility? And how is that volatility broken out in terms of risk contribution across the portfolio? So we measure that risk contribution based on prevailing conditions, whether that's you know a normal, quote-unquote, normal market, or if it's a market that's going haywire like a year ago. We can see where the portfolio is currently positioned and how far away that is from the current target. So as conditions change over time, the amount of call it dispersion between where we currently are and where we actually should be dictates when we actually go in and trade. So we definitely are you know, an actively daily trading strategy. We trade based off when markets kind of dictate that we need to trade, and that's not necessarily a preset schedule. So you could have years like 2019, for example, where volatility was very contained, very subdued. You didn't see much risk in the equity markets for the entire year. Our portfolio traded three times. If you fast forward and go to 2020, you know, particularly February, March, April, during that time frame, our algorithm starts to give us more signals, more buy and sell signals as conditions from a volatility and correlation standpoint start to change materially. So that might be a scenario, you know, you go for months, maybe quarters where we don't have to move the portfolio at all. And the reason we don't is because the risk contributions are in line with the risk budget. But then there are periods where that changes dramatically, and then that's where we have to shift either the mix between stocks and bonds, or if correlations are sufficiently high across all asset classes, we can start to incorporate cash and and various hedges at that point in time. But it's not a preset schedule. It really is dictated on what the market's telling us. How has the strategy performed so far this year? Our U.S. growth portfolio, this is for our composite net of fees. We're up about 6%. That's through June. You know, we've had a pretty solid July as well, but up about 6%, which is slightly above the benchmark. You know, we've been pleased with recent performance, particularly over the last quarter. We did see some headwinds earlier in the year, particularly when Treasury yields started to rise. We had used Treasuries as a hedge against volatility in 2020. We gradually rotated out of that as conditions changed. We materially reduced that treasury exposure, but we did have some duration risk heading into that pop in interest rates. So we did have some underperformance in January, February. But if you look at our composite, you know, versus a peer group, 50-70 equity peer group, 
Uh, in Morningstar, we, we are above median for, for the most recent quarter. So we've been pleased not only in terms of absolute returns, but risk-adjusted performance as well. What we try to do over time is deliver a sharp ratio, you know, as close to one as we can. And, and if above one, even better. But we want to make sure the return we're providing is, you know, commensurate with the risk that you're taking. So we have uh, seen a pretty good quarter here recently in, in Q2. That was coming off a little bit of headwind scenarios in, in Q1. So overall, up 6% for the year. What do you use for the benchmark for the strategy? Internally, for our reporting purposes, we use the S&P Target Risk Growth Index. It's one of the indexes calculated by Standard & Poor's. It's an industry standard benchmark for measuring uh, portfolio performance against stock bond portfolios. That index is typically about a 60-40-ish allocation between stocks and bonds. So over time, that's a reasonable proxy for the strategy. We also look at ourselves versus peer groups internally, whether it's the Morningstar Tactical Peer Group or the 5070 you know, Equity Allocation Peer Group that I mentioned before. So that, over time, is a good benchmark proxy you know, to compare our performance to. How is the strategy positioned today? So in the U.S. growth model, we're currently at a weight of about 75% equity, and that's split across the equity factors. And the equity factors we use are size, momentum, value, low volatility, and high quality. So instead of being cap-weighted, we actually allocate risk across those five factors for equity exposure. And currently, we have about a 23% weight to long-term treasuries, and then the remaining 2% is in cash. The recent move in interest rates has been an interesting one. And somewhat counterintuitive, you know, given the inflation data that we've seen. But nevertheless, you know, the 10-year yield is now back to roughly the same level it was back in February. So if we indeed have become perhaps overextended on the reopening trade and valuations come in to more uh, normal levels in terms of price earnings multiples, for example, I would expect downward pressure on yields. It would continue and allow our U.S. Treasury position to effectively hedge any potential equity volatility. That you might see, interestingly, the U.S. Treasury position has been an effective hedge in the past, and that's kind of why we use U.S. Treasuries as a hedge. So, for example, if you go back to 2008, you go back to 2011 during the Eurozone crisis or even during COVID, the onset of COVID, in each one of those scenarios, you know, you've had a, an explosion of equity volatility, but you've had Treasuries, you know, give you that negatively correlated return on the opposite side. So basically, you, you get that diversification effect with treasuries, and it worked during the most recent drawdown last year. You know, while it's no guarantee that that's going to work in the future, you know, with the equity markets become dislocated, you know, that U.S. Treasury position, you know, for what it's worth historically has, has provided that hedge that, that we've always looked for. Conversely, on the flip side, if stocks gain momentum in the back half of the year, maybe we are overreacting to the Delta variant of COVID. Perhaps equities have much more room to go because yields are so low and there really aren't a lot of alternatives to equities. If that scenario plays out, we'll have sufficient equity exposure in the portfolio, which I think could offset any you know, potential losses that you see on the treasury position if you, if you get an uptick in rates. But again, it's all about balancing you know, sources of risk uh, across low to negative correlated asset classes and then being able to modify your allocation as those volatility and correlations change over time. So we're prepared to kind of go in whichever direction you know the market's going to take us. But just know that over time, you'll always be engaged in the equity markets to varying degrees. We try to mitigate that volatility through our risk budgeting process. And at the end of the day, we're trying to navigate uncertainty the best that we can. 
Well, I know many of our investors are concerned about risks in the market, so it's good to hear your focus on risk management. Clint, thanks for being with us today, and thanks to all of you for listening to our conference call. Please be sure to listen again next quarter when we'll again host John Malden and one of the asset managers from Malden SmartCore. Clint, thanks for being here. I appreciate the time. Likewise, and thanks to everyone again for listening. Have a great day.